Good morning, everybody. Welcome uh, this morning, November the 22nd, to our fourth installment on Unlimited. I think we're going to get into some things today that are going to help you, encourage you, strengthen you, and uh, build your confidence. So I want you to stay with me till the very end of the teaching this morning. If I were to put a title on this, I would say um, the title would be Always Pleasing the Father. Can, can we live that kind of life? And what is pleasing the Father? Do you really know <clears throat> what that is? And we're going we're gonna to talk about that and define it in just a minute. I want to begin once again over in uh, that familiar scripture that we read a lot from Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. And just kind of set a backdrop for where we want to go this morning. Always pleasing the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 19 says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. All of, all of creation, everywhere where we go, all parts of society, all of creation, not just, not just humans. And probably we ought to get into some time how that the manifestation of the, of the sons of God is going to, or the revealing of the sons of God, as the NASB says, is going to have an effect on all of creation, not just humanity. But all of creation is waiting for the unveiling, for the maturing, for the manifestation. Um, different versions term it differently, but it's all pointing toward one thing, and that is for the sons of God to either come out of the closet <laughs> or be drawn in from the wilderness where many have been held in obscurity. Now, there's a tremendous difference between being in the closet and being in the desert. I, I know a lot of people that are in the closet, especially pastors and leaders, they're in the closet on everything that we're teaching. They believe it, they see it, they personally embrace it, but they're not about to teach it to the church or their Bible study because of the pushback and the repercussions that it would carry. Other people are in the desert and they are frustrated sometimes because it seems like they've been set out in this place of obscurity <clears throat> and there's nobody that listens. There's, there, there's no audience. There's nowhere to express everything that they're seeing and all that's being revealed to them. So there, there is a time that we're going to come out of the closet and come out of obscurity like John the Baptist. The scripture says that John the Baptist was held in the desert until the day of his appearing. All that time was preparation for John. It was all waiting on the timing of the Father to bring John from the desert into visibility to affirm that there's the, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and to be what Jesus said was the greatest prophet in, in, the, old cap, in the Old Covenant. We're going to come in out of, the, out of the wilderness and out of the closet, and the mission is going to be to revolutionize Christianity from the pit that it has fallen into. And I never in my lifetime thought I would see Christianity deviate from the message of Paul and unconditional love and grace without limit that we have actually seen uh, religion devolve into. So whether you call what we're in right now a, ref a reformation or a transition or a shifting, um, that's what's taking place. And I just want to remind you this morning that it's never easy for those that are on the front edge of that, uh, of that transition, that reformation, that move. Whenever God begins to do something, there's always a first wave, a first fruits of people that he discloses to and speaks to. Uh, I think the old covenant said that he, always, he does nothing but what he tells his prophets. I think in the new covenant, it's fair to say that he does nothing but what he reveals it to his sons. 
We're in relationship with him. We hear his voice. We move by his spirit. So whatever is going on in the earth, he's going to first reveal it to his sons. Now, some of the sons are going to hide. <laughs> they don't want to come out and disclose everything that the father's saying. Others are in obscurity. But what we're seeing today is a gathering of people from all over the world that are beginning to rise up and their voices is beginning to be heard. And there is a transition, a shift, a reformation, an actual reformation of some of the things that we have held uh, a long time as being truth and have actually been called orthodox. Orthodox doesn't mean that something is true. Orthodox means that it has been a long accepted held belief, but it doesn't necessarily uh, uh, validate it or mean that it's true. But let me get back to my point. The people that are on the front edge, even of what's going on right now, are bearing the brunt that always happens, <clears throat> whether it was uh, Luther or, I don't necessarily agree with all these men, but Luther, uh, Calvin Zwingli, we take it back to Paul and Jesus, those people that I want to read to you from just a minute from Hebrews chapter 11, they went through hell on earth to break through the truth that they were seeing it God was revealing to them. As I think some saw it, it just in part, but today it's becoming more crystal clear. But look for just a minute. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 that were bearing some truth and standing for things that was totally contrary and revolutionary to the world that they live in. Let me pick it up in verse, verse 2. And I'm just doing this for effect today because I don't want you to feel like you're by yourself or that um, like one, one young lady that texted me this week was, was, had been a member of my church at Grace Point, a wonderful young couple, moved to another state, and she was just asked to leave the church because she no longer believes in hell do an effective children's ministry, well accepted in the body from the people, but leadership had to separate her because she no longer believed in, uh, uh, you know, in agreement with what, with what they were teaching. So that, that in effect is kind of what's going on and that's probably the, the depth of most of the prosecution or persecution that we face today. We don't come through anything like these people in Hebrews chapter 11. Look what the writer Hebrews says, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, preferred acts of righteousness, obtained promises, and shut the mouths of lions. I mean, these guys were, these guys were doing some unbelievable things. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Well, we don't hear about that one. Women received back the dead from resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, others experienced mockings and scourgings, yet also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. I mean, these people paid a price to be on the cutting edge. And we look at today, you know, and we, we are severely persecuted if somebody um, blocks us on Facebook. I mean, we just come unglued to how, how rejected we are. 
It says in verse 38, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these having gained approval, they gained approval through their faith. They did not receive the promise. They were, they were forward looking in the promise, I think, to this generation. So if, if, we, want to, if we want to do, uh, do it right, and this is where I'm going with this teaching today. I'm looking back at all these men and in, in women in the Faith Hall of Fame and the reformers before us that paved the way for where we're at today. And we've come to a place where we understand that if we're going to do it right on a high level, then we're going to probably uh, have to hone in on Jesus the pattern son. I'm, I'm using that term a lot lately because I think it describes so well what really Jesus was. He was the pattern from which we were all cut. When a lady makes a dress and she gets a pattern, she puts the cloth on the pattern and cuts around the pattern so that the cloth looks like or fits the pattern. The pattern is the design, the original from which everything is made. So uh, I think we're discovering us as we understand the pattern son. Uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, he says, For every person that God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his first son. I probably should read that well for you. If you're in Romans chapter 8, let's look at verse 29. Let me get the wording exact. For those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that the son, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. So all of us, God foreknew. So God wired us, pre-wired us, that we would be conformed to the image or to the pattern of the Son. That's what's going on today. And this is, this is where the body of Christ has come to, that we're being conformed to the image of the first Son. It says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, John said, Beloved, now are you the sons of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know this, that when we see him, we shall see him as he is. What's, what's John getting at? John is getting at the fact that we discover us as we understand him. The more, the more clearly we see him, the more clearly we see us. I, our identity, our exact identity is unveiled in Jesus. You want to know what the Father thinks about you? Look at the pattern. That's what he sees and thinks about you. I think past generations miss this, but it's being revealed right now very strongly that no longer are we living for Jesus. That was a phase we all went through. We live for Jesus. But we're understanding now the Spirit of God is revealing to us that we are the Christ in this world as he was. We are living as the Christ, as Jesus lived the Christ. You know, there's an old song that we sang when I was growing up, and it, uh, one of the, the lines of the song says that he, the great example, is a pattern for me. I think the name of the song is Where He Leads, I'll Follow. I'm not sure. I'm, some of you old-time Baptists maybe can pull that one up. But he, the great example, is a pattern for me. How he walked, how he overcame, uh, uncovers in me, and it uncovers in you as a son, what's inside this divine DNA that we, that, we, that we carry around that enables us to do the same as Jesus did. John wasn't mistaken when he said, as Jesus is, so are we in this present world. 
as Jesus is. That's present tense. However he is today, that's how you are. So it's not a matter that I'm living for Jesus anymore. I'm living as Jesus in the earth. So I'm, I'm conforming myself, or he's conforming me. Strike that, me conforming me. He, we're going to discover some unique things about that. But he's conforming me to that image, and he's doing that work by grace. You know, that divine influence that creates effortless change? As I rest in him, there's all kinds of changes going on inside of us that we have, not, we have not striven or sweated to accomplish, but he's just by revelation revealing it to us. The thing about Jesus that's bringing us out of the closet and out of the wilderness is the way that he postured himself in a way that has been a little bit foreign to us up to this point in the way that we reveal or the way that we present ourselves. What you and I have done because of our traditions, our religious traditions, we built doctrines or we attended churches that built doctrines from a very foundation of lack and separation. If you look back at everything that you were taught, the, 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 the basis of all of it was lack and separation. Either you, you lacked uh, uh, salvation, you lacked healing, you lacked prosperity, you lacked everything, you lacked everything. And there was a sense of separation, that God was out there and you were here. And so we did everything that we knew to do to try to bridge that separation by our actions, by our beliefs, by our confession, all various ways. Everything was built around this idea that we lacked and we were separated. Jesus, on the other hand, didn't live that way. He did not thrive on lack and separation. He thrived on, on abundance and oneness or unity, unity, union with the Father. So Jesus prayed when he prayed that great prayer in John 17. He prayed for us to open up and live and move exactly the what he lived and moved from. And that's what I want to that's what I want to teach today. I want us to look at the pattern. I want us to see three things that are so evident in the life of Jesus that are startling statements. Startling statements that I want us to get a hold of because Jesus lived out of one source. There was only one source that fueled everything Jesus did. We've probably had multiple sources and the multiple sources we've tried to tap into have been because we have created what we think are the sources of life. For example, we think our job is a source. Our job is not a source. It's an avenue through which the Father can bless us. He's the source. The job is just the avenue. But we've looked at, and I could name a lot of things, but I'm not going to. I'm just, I'm just emphasizing that Jesus lived out of one source. Everything that Jesus uh, recognized came from the Father. That's why Paul wrote, I think in Ephesians 4, 6, I believe it's Ephesians 4, 6, that there is one God and Father of all who is through all, above all, and in all. Paul's trying to reveal to us, look, there is one Father that is in you that creates the source. But we have not had ingrained into us deeply enough or probably long enough. We've had ingrained in us for years and years, some of us 30, 40, 50 years, uh, that there's more than one source, that we don't look to the Father for absolutely everything. <clears throat> for us, for us, when things, when things don't work, what we do is we build another doctrine to explain why things aren't working and another doctrine that we can move to to try to make it work out for us. 
That's, how, that's really what the rapture is about. The rapture is an escape because we haven't recognized that it's the sons of God that will manifest and create the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's, you're the avenue. And so we failed miserably at that. The, the church has failed miserably at manifesting the kingdom of, of, of learning to have a life and to impart a life of overcoming. So we created a doctrine of the rapture. We picked a few scriptures here and there based on a revelation a, a girl had about 150 or 60 years ago. And we have said, look, when things get really tough, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that before things really totally get out of control, that we're gonna exit the earth. We're not gonna have to go through anything hard. And that, that excuses our inability to manifest the kingdom. God's wiped that board clean. And he is now teaching us how to bring heaven to earth. We, we are not, we're not looking to go to heaven. We're looking to, to merge those two dimensions into one. And even now, we're, we're, we're recognizing at least that we live in two dimensions at one time. You're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but you also, also have flesh feet on terra firma right here on earth. So we're learning, we're learning how to function in two kingdoms, but we're gradually moving our, our emphasis and our provision out of an earthly dimension to a spirit dimension. We're realizing that the real power in the universe is not natural, it's spiritual. So I wanna, I wanna look at, at three revelations that Jesus operated in that are totally available to us to also operate out of that Jesus relied on and that we can rely on Three things that as Jesus functioned in drew people to him, that it will draw people to the, to the, to the Father in us as well. When we're, when we're blind to our purpose, when we're blind to the intentions of the Father, we, we can't demonstrate an unlimited life. When we're blind to what the Father is doing us, we can't tap into an unlimited kingdom. We struggle with insecurities and doubts, and we have to really focus in on the pattern Jesus to see how he rose above insecurities and doubts. Never doubt that Jesus was a flesh man. Jesus was a human. He was 100% human, 100% divine. But being 100% human, he encountered every insecurity, every doubt, every fear, every apprehension that you and I encounter. The Father's telling us, look at the pattern. Check the pattern. How did the pattern function? What did the pattern, what did the human Jesus bring into his life? What did he see that we need to see that as people who are 100% human, but also 100% divine, you have you have a divine DNA pumping through your, your veins to the same extent that Jesus did. It would not be fair for the Father to say that Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers if Jesus cheated his way through life in a way that we couldn't operate or function in. So we're, we're, learning, we're learning that there was no difference. There's learning, we're learning there's no difference in the way the Father equipped Jesus than how he equips us. We're learning that Jesus had no advantages over us. We've just been blind to it. We've been ignorant to it. 
you know, now we're on a, a, a mission of discovery. It's not trying to add things to our life. It's discovering what has always been there, but we've been ignorant of it. So Jesus, unlimited life, I think, swung on three hinges. You know, there's probably more, but these three hinges are paramount that he knew for sure, and they built tremendous confidence into the human Jesus. And if you'll, if you'll grab these three today, and don't leave me till I'm done, if you'll grab these three today, they're going to they're gonna put a, a spark of confidence in you. They're going to put a soul in your stroll that's going to enable you to, to maybe see life a little differently and approach things a little different. I want to look at three things. Uh, two of them are out of John chapter 8 and verse 29. So if you're still in Romans, I want you to back up to John chapter 8. And we're going to read one verse, John chapter 8, and I want to read verse 29. I'll read the first half of the verse to begin with. Jesus said this. This, this is good revelation. This is how Jesus saw his life. Jesus said, and he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. You have got to know, like Jesus knew, that you have been sent here, that you are on a divine assignment that you and the Father agreed upon before you ever took on that flesh suit, before you ever became visible in form. What you are, in reality, is a spirit being that has taken on a flesh suit, and you have slowed that spirit down to visibility, to where now we can see you. When, when, you, when you escape this earth suit, it, it doesn't mean you don't exist. It just means your vibrational level has now sped up to where you're not visible. The cloud of witnesses are, are as real and as prevalent today uh, in pulling for us and working with us than they've, as they've ever been. We just, they're not visible in, in, uh, in human form. I'm getting off my point. My point is this. Jesus knew that the Father sent him. He said, the Father sent me and is with me. Let, me. let me read that 29th verse. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. There's, there's two points right there that Jesus is making. The Father sent him and he's with him. He never leaves him by himself. You have got to understand that you are on a mission, that you have been designed, perfectly crafted to fulfill, and you are fulfilling it. Before you ever came, you and the Father sat down. You, you say, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. Let me, let me just make this legal for you. Let's go back to Jeremiah and look what, what God told Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, all right? And let's just look at this from verses 4 through 8. This is Jeremiah giving a report. This, Jeremiah had the revelation of this. Jeremiah says in verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me and said this. I want the word of the Lord to come to you today and say this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That tells me that there was a relationship that we had with the Father before we had visible form. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He knew you as spirit. You knew him as spirit. You still know him as spirit. He is spirit. Our relationship with him is spirit. He said, I knew you, and I consecrated you. In other words, I set you with a plan. 
I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. There was an agreed upon mission that Jeremiah came and that was to be a prophet to the nations. Now, when he showed up in visible form, in flesh suit, like all of us, he resisted that. Moses resisted it. Moses, or Jeremiah said, he said, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. Jeremiah was not seeing himself as the father saw him. Jeremiah was looking at his flesh man. He was, he was viewing his, his identity through his flesh suit. So he said, I, 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 I don't know what to say. He said, I'm just a youth. I'm immature. I'm not developed. I'm not ready for this. Verse 7, the Lord said to me, don't, don't say I'm a youth, I'm immature, I'm not ready, because everywhere I send you, you will go. In other words, you will fulfill the mission. You and I, Jeremiah, agreed on a plan. You will come and you will go everywhere I send you. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. He's saying the same thing to Jeremiah that, that uh, Jesus had full confidence in. That the Father sent me and he is always with me. In 1 John, that's, that's for us. That is, that is strikingly a powerful testimony that Father knew you, that you existed before you had flesh suit, before spirit slowed down to visibility. You existed, and you and Father communicated about, about the mission that you were going to accomplish. Jesus recognized that, and John, John saw it in Jesus. Come to me with 1 John chapter 4, and let's read, let's read a verse about Jesus and the fact that he knew what he was here to do. 1 John chapter 4, and let me look at just verse 14. John said, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son. He sent the Son. There was a mission that the Son was sent on. The Son knew his mission. And the mission, John said, was to be, check it out, the Savior of the world. So my question is, the Father sent him. Did Jesus fulfill his mission? Absolutely, Jesus fulfilled his mission. Will you fulfill your mission? Absolutely, you will fulfill your mission. And, and we're, we're going to study this further in the next 20 minutes, 25 minutes, to see exactly what the Father says about you fulfilling your, your plan as well. Now, we, we have a hard time accepting this. He not only sent you, but like, like Jesus, he has walked with you every step of your journey. The low points, the high points, the, you know, the neutral points, whatever. The Father, you can say exactly what Jesus said. The Father sent me, and he is always with me. He has not left me. Even, even in the darkest hours of your life, in the, in the, in the middle of the biggest mistakes and screw-ups <laughs> that you have committed, he has been there. He has not left you. See, we're always looking for a confirmation that God's with us. We're always looking for a sign that he's with us, that we've heard him, that we're going the right direction, that we're doing his will. We're always wanting some kind of confirmation. Jesus wasn't looking for no confirmation. I mean, what the heck, man? You don't need a confirmation. You have the spirit residing within you. But we, 
we always want, in the charismatic circles, people always looking for a confirmation. Oh, brother, that confirms what God's saying to me. And it's not till we get the confirmation that we really feel nailed down. That's why, that's why in charismatic Pentecostal circles, they run all over the country chasing down a prophet to get a word of confirmation. It's because we don't trust the Father's integrity or his programming and agreed upon plan for our life and his ability to execute that plan, having programmed in all of our mistakes, foul-ups, and rebellion. David recognized it. Let me, let me read to you from the book of Psalms. Let, let's look at Psalm 139 for just a minute. Psalm 139, and let's read verses 16, 17, and 18. David really says what Jeremiah is saying in verse 16. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. So again, God is saying, look, David is saying, look, you and I, I existed and you, you dealt with me when I was still without form. You saw my unformed substance. And in your book, watch this, and in your book were written the days that were ordained for me. Every, every day of your life, God knew what would happen. Do you think in God's omniscience, he didn't know you'd make a wrong turn? That you'd make a bad decision? That your choice would not be to your advantage at that instant? He programmed all of that in. He said, the days were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. His thoughts to you are good thoughts. How vast is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And when I awake, no matter what condition I'm in, when I awake, you're still right there with me. David saw that. David recognized that the Father would send us and would be with us and would never leave us. I want that to, I want that to get into your spirit this morning. I want that to drop deep inside of you that you're on a mission that you and the Father agreed upon and that he sent you and he has taken responsibility for you and he is not going to leave you. He will never depart and leave you by your lonesome, by yourself. I don't care what you're walking through. I don't care what you're going through. Jesus knew he was complete in the Father and had always been complete. And Paul wanted you to get it too. That's why he wrote Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He said, the pattern, the pattern Jesus, verse 9, in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And then he goes on to verse 10, says, you're just like the pattern, and you are complete in him. All right, listen, listen to me very closely. You do not grow in completeness. You will never be more complete than you are right now. What you grow in is is your awareness of your completeness. You were always totally 100% complete in him. Jesus never feared being abandoned. He knew the Father sent him. He was with him. And the union that he had with the Father was everything. And Jesus wanted our eyes to be open to the same thing. And he said in John 14, 20, he said, in that day you're gonna know that I'm in the Father and you're in me and I'm in you. So in effect, he's saying the Father and me and you, Jesus was saying we are all one in this together. And that was, that was settled in eternity. Now it needs to be settled in our inner man.
It needs to be settled on the inside of us if we're going to enter into this unlimited life that I'm teaching you about. Separation is a lie. And it only appeals to your, your carnal thinking. Your carnal mind thinks it can do it. Your carnal mind thinks, I can, I can bridge and earn my way. I can earn my place. I can, I can make myself advance in the kingdom. Separation can only be an issue of the mind. It can never be an issue of the spirit because there is no separation. Jesus never questioned his origin. Don't you ever question your origin. Jesus never questioned his mission. Don't you question your mission. Jesus never questioned that the Father was with him. Don't you dare question that the Father is with you at the best or at the worst in your life. Now notice, all right, let's go back to that. So the first thing that really fueled Jesus, that enabled him to walk this unlimited life we're talking about, he knew that he was on a mission sent from the Father, and because he was on a mission sent from the Father, he never was by himself. The Father never vacated him. All right, let, let's read the last part of that 29th verse. Jesus said, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Wow. That's a big one. That's a, that's a big one. That's a bold statement. Some people might even say that's a little egotistical. But we, we say, well, that's Jesus. Of course he could say that. Let me ask you, can you look in the mirror and say, the things that I do always please him? Always please him. That, that's, a, that's, one of, that's a good uh, is from 1 John 4, 19. That if Jesus could say, I always please the Father, then you and I should also be able to look in the mirror and say, everything that I do always pleases the Father. If you knew, if you had an assurance, and, and I'm trying to give you that assurance this morning, if you absolutely knew that everything you did pleases the Father, what would that do to your inner man? What would that do to your confidence? If you knew that you always pleased him, you know, most people back up on that. <laughs> and they back up on it because they see all the screw-ups, all the foul-ups, all the places where they feel like they've missed it. The Father being pleased with Jesus was not based on what Jesus did. The Father's, the Father's being pleased with you is not based on what you do. The Father's being pleased with Jesus, as we, I've, I've gone through it time after time with you at the baptism, when he said, that's my son, whom I'm well pleased. At that point, Jesus hadn't done anything miraculous, had not done anything to advance the kingdom, had not done anything to fulfill the will of God except to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor. He, he was evolving. He was developing. The man, Jesus, was developing his Christness. So when the Father said it wasn't based on Jesus' performance, and when, when the Father looks at you and says, I'm pleased with you and you always please me, it's not based on your performance. In Isaiah 53, 6, it, it says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own ways. In, in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned, all have missed the mark. But then it says in verse 19 that he's justified us freely. So he's saying, look, I, I, I realize you've missed the mark, but that hasn't done anything, that has nothing to do with my being pleased with you. A lot of our disobedience and rebellion in our life come because we have faced spiritual contradictions and we thought that the Father has abandoned us or didn't care about us or this whole thing really wasn't real. We face situations and we face circumstances that made us feel that God had somehow uh, allowed us to enter into these things and didn't stop it and we become disappointed and 
uh, and upset. We've lost heart. We've given up and we've walked away. But I want to tell you something. Even though you walked away, that first point that Jesus knew was fully aware that the Father never left him by himself. And I can tell you for a, a, a fact that he's always been pleased with you, even in your darkest hour. Even in your darkest hour. When you thought, when you thought, when your carnal mind said you are a, a hundred miles, million miles away from God, he was still pleased with you. Did you, did you ever have a, a rebellious time in your life? I mean, you just were a rebel. <clears throat> you, know, you knew you were doing stuff that wasn't right. And then you lay awake in your bed at night. Has this ever happened to you? I've had it happen to me, I'll be honest with you. And the presence of God would just come and surround you. I mean, it would be so so tangible, you could cut it with a knife. And he would just start loving on you and drawing you and pulling you. He was trying to tell you, look, I've, I'm, not, I'm not moved by your rebellion. I'm not moved by your actions. My feelings for you, they never change. You cannot escape me. That's what he was trying to say. He's always pleased. Jesus identified as a son in the midst of all the times the Pharisees came against him, tried to tell him he was filled with devils, the times they wanted to kill him and stone him. I mean, he went through some stuff. But he held up and said, I always do what pleases the Father. So here's the million-dollar question. What is it that pleases the Father? What it, What is it that pleases the Father? <clears throat> Most of us don't know how the Father views, how the Father views from his eyes what pleases him. And so naturally, we don't know what really pleases him or how he sees it. So we try by our obedience and our good works to please him. We think, man, if I pray a lot, if I read my Bible, you know, if I, if I try to do good, that's going to please him. Do you know how to please the Father? I'm going to tell you how. Now, this is going to shock you. This is going to shock you. Here's how you please the Father. When you choose not to condemn yourself, that pleases the Father. When you choose not to feel guilty or get on a guilt trip or try to prove to him how valuable and your worth is by your spiritual activity, that pleases the Father then you're doing something that only pleases him because you're agreeing with him. He said there is no condemnation to you. He said there is no guilt to you. When you, when you refuse to condemn yourself and guilt yourself and make yourself feel less than a son, you're pleasing him. Your outward actions stem from how you see you, not how he sees you. You act like you act because of how you see yourself, right? And that gets, that gets us into a place where we think we're not pleasing him. When I act out of my own carnal ambitions, out of my own carnal thinking. But let me take you back here. He, he is pleased not by what you do or what you don't do. He is pleased by who you be. When you see you like he sees you, it pleases him. How does he see you? Well, let's go back to Ephesians. You remember when we were in that very first chapter of Ephesians, one of the most powerful chapters that Paul wrote. In that very first chapter of Ephesians, he tells us this. 
Ephesians chapter 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Watch. Here's how he sees you. That we should be holy and blameless before him or in his sight in love. So in love, the Father looks at you and he sees you blameless. Did you get that? He sees you blameless and he sees you holy. When you see you as blameless and holy, apart from, apart from your actions, that pleases him. So can you always please the Father? Absolutely, absolutely you can always please the Father. And I'm challenging you. My challenge to you is to separate yourself from your actions and begin to look at your life and see yourself like he sees you, holy and blameless before him because he looks at you through the lens of love, right? So that that really fueled Jesus. Jesus knew that he always did what pleases the Father. Do you ever see Jesus saying, oh man, I, I made a wrong action. I wished I hadn't turned that water into wine. In retrospect, I did that before my time and I don't think, you know, I, don't, I think I should have waited for my time to begin to do, but I, I stepped out on my own and I did that. Or when he was 12 years old, you think he... Uh, when, he, when he was disobedient to his parents and remained at the temple. Do you think that affected how he saw himself? I, I don't believe so. And what you do or what you don't do should not affect how you see you. I wish I could tell every believer that. I wish I could go to prison and tell every inmate, don't see yourself based on your actions. See yourself holy and blameless in love before the Father because that's exactly how he sees you. Right? There's a third thing. John 14, 10. John had some amazing insight about how Jesus functioned. I think maybe even a little bit more than some of the others. John 14, 10, Jesus says this. This is red. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you do not speak on my own initiative. Now, here's, here's, how, Jesus, here's how Jesus believed. But the Father abiding in me does the works. The Father that abides in me does the works. The Father that abides in me does the works. All three of these that we read today came from John. John had this special understanding of the king and how the kingdom functioned. And I'm pulling, I'm pulling out three things for you this morning that show you how King Jesus operates in his domain, which we call the kingdom. The kingdom is the domain of the king. So, what Jesus is saying to us, here's the message this morning on this point. Jesus is taking doing the works out of your hands and putting it into the Father's hands. The Father is taking it out of your hands by doing the work himself. And so the Father's saying everything in right timing is going to flow from me through you as you, all right? just as it flowed in perfect timing through Jesus. It will through us also. We just need to get into the groove of his timing and not get ahead of it or lag behind it. The, the pressure that we feel is that we need to do it and not him. That Man, if things aren't you know, snap, crackling, and popping, then we need to take this thing in our own hands and we need to do something. I mean, I, it's better to do something than nothing, right? No, that's not kingdom mentality. The pressure to do is on him. 
So let me just pull up again the, one of the verses I, I've quoted to you because I want it to get ingrained. Philippians 2.13. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He puts the will in you, and then he gives you the ability to do that will. So that's the timing that we need to get on, and that's the timing Jesus functioned on. So he said, he said, the Father, he's the one that does the work. So when you sense the Father isn't doing anything, and, and look, when the Father does something, you're, you're going to have to, on purpose, not do it. That's how strong it will be. You don't have to dig around in there and try to figure out, oh man, is this God, is this not God? When the Father speaks to you, you're going to know. When you don't sense the Father doing something, that's a good time to take your foot off the gas pedal, so to speak, and you don't have to try to react or you don't have to try to deliver it yourself. You don't have to name it and claim it until it appears. You don't have to start to panic because the deadline is drawing near to make something happen. Paul said this in Galatians 4.4. He said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Why didn't he send Jesus in Abraham's time? It wasn't the time. Why didn't Jesus come before the flood and, and get that whole thing straightened out? It wasn't the time. Why didn't Jesus come time of Jeremiah, Isaiah, the prophecy? It wasn't the time. When the fullness, when the timing of God, when everything fit together perfectly, he sent his son. That's why you're here right now. In the fullness of time, God sent you as a son. In the fullness of time, God took the action. You agreed to the action and God took it and sent you. He designed it and sent you. Everything works in his timing. When, when you sense that the Father is doing something, then let the Spirit of Truth read it out for you, even read between the lines, reveal, unveil to you so that you can come into an agreement and join the Father in what he is doing presently. That's what sonship is about. It's about seeing what the Father's doing, then coming into an agreement with it and adding what he directs you to do as well. Look, this life is pretty simple. It really is. It's just hear and obey. Hear and obey. If you're not hearing, then there's nothing you need to obey. And I'm here to tell you this morning that when he speaks, you're going to have to intentionally not hear it. You're going to know. He knows how to communicate with you. He, he wired you, brother, sister. He wired you. He predestined you. That means pre-wired. He pre-wired you for your purpose and plan. Do you think he's not, do you think he does not have the ability to speak your language? He doesn't speak to us all the same way. Some of us see, some of us sense, some of it's an inner knowing. He speaks to us in multi-ways. He knows exactly how to communicate with you. But I'm driving home that Jesus had a confidence that it was the Father that did the works. We call them the miracles of Jesus. They were not the miracles of Jesus. They were the miracles of the Father that Jesus was the channel through which they flow because he and the Father were one. The Father in me, he doeth the works. That was, that was revelation. That should be revelation to you. We all want to do the works. We don't do the works. The Father does the works. That's what Jesus told us. That takes the pressure off of me to perform. I don't come over here to, to, to do something I come over here just to express to you and convey to you what I hear the Father say. If the Father ain't talking, I ain't talking. If the Father's not doing, I'm not doing. See, that's... But the problem is when we can't do, we feel purposeless. 
When we can't figure it out and, and get our head around it and, and, and function and do an action, we feel purposeless. The real purpose is revealed in one's self-effort, and that is removed when all of a sudden now you begin to be reliant upon what he does. Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 7, and while we're turning over there, you remember when Jesus said, I've got a lot of things to tell you guys, but you can't bear it yet? The timing was not right. They weren't, they weren't at the position or the point where they could hear what Jesus wanted to say, so Jesus cut it out. Jesus was seeing and hearing a lot of things he could not share. Just because you hear something, just because you get a revelation does not mean you need to run to your relatives and tell them. They're not ready for it. They're going to reject the revelation, and you're going to feel the, the hurt of that rejection. When the Father shows you something, set on it until he says you need to open up about it. I'm seeing some things that I can't tell you this morning. I'm, I think in five or six weeks, I can tell you. Because I, the Father is saying, we need to build this. We need to work this way in this unlimited life. There are some areas of unlimited that you have not heard about anybody ever teach about. And I'm going to explore some things with you in the weeks that are ahead. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 13 and verse 7. Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand later. So there will come an understanding, and there's no sense of them trying to, to uh, understand before the time. There's no sense of you trying to function before the release to function. It's, it's a trust issue. It really, it really boils down to a trust issue. How do I want to express this? I'm trying to, I'm trying to hit this from every angle that I can. Jesus trusted the Father to do the works, and he did not act until he knew the Father was telling him to act. He didn't go to the Garden of Gethsemane at two years or three years. He waited until that time, until time was fulfilled. Look, there are a lot of good teachings about God out there, there are a lot of good teachings about the Father. But until our eyes are opened, to the union that we have with him. And until you're functioning in that, then all the good teachings that you hear is just wood, hay, and stubble that you're accumulating and filing into your computer and knowledge that you may carry, but it's of no value. We will never experience the fullness of our being here on earth, and we will never please him until until we see us as he sees us. All right, let me, let, me, let me conclude. I think I've gone far enough. I don't want to confuse you anymore. Jesus, Jesus said this. Well, let me, let me say this. Let me preface it. We've moved out of religion. In case you haven't figured it out, we've moved out of religion. We're talking about things and moving in things you're never going to hear in church. These things I brought out to you today, you, you've, you, your pastor never taught you that. As a pastor, I never taught these three things. This is what, this is how Jesus functioned. He knew that he was sent on a mission and that the Father was always with him. Most believers have no idea that the Father's always with them because they don't know they're on a God-sent mission. They don't believe everything they do pleases the Father because they think pleasing the Father is based on what they do, not who they be. And they for sure don't believe in God doing the works. They're trying to do the work themselves. <clears throat> They're praying for, for an ability. They're praying for power. You don't need more power. You got all the power you're ever going to need. All you got to do is let the Father do the works through you. You got enough 
dunamis and exousia authority and power in you to totally fulfill everything you've been sent here to do. Now you're discovering it. And what we talked about this morning is nothing but a discovery. It's a discovery. We've moved out of religion, and I'm telling you, it's just in time because religion is crumbling. It's coming to nothing. Who would have thought churches could be shut down totally within 30 days? A 30-day period, churches no longer met. Who would have thought that could ever happen? The walls of religion are falling. Do you think when churches open up that everybody's going back? They're not because they have discovered the fact they don't need the church to function and they have hit on things like the digital cathedral and others online that are teaching some good stuff. I'm not the only one. There are others that are teaching good stuff. There's a lot of mixture, a lot of pollution. I know on the internet that's being taught, but the truth is, is ciphering through and people are saying, look, I don't need to go back to church. I don't need to be guilted and condemned. I don't need to uh, have to tithe to feel like God will open the windows of heaven. I'm learning truth. I'm learning truth. And the truth you've learned this morning is the knowledge that you have been sent and that he's always with you. Number one. And number two, you always please him because it's not based on what you do. It's based on who you be. You are a son in whom he's well pleased. And number three, the pressure's not on you to do the work. The pressure's on the father to do the work. As this begins to, to function in your life, a lot of people are like Jesus. You're, they're going to be attracted to you because they're attracted to the Father that is functioning in you. No longer are you functioning out of a carnal mindset. The Father is functioning as you, and people are drawn to the love that is coming out of your life. All right? Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Because the gospel that you carry now is a gospel of unconditional love, and it's very inclusive. It includes everybody. People in church today on this 22nd of November, 2020, are not hearing Ephesians 4, 6 about a God who is the father of all. They're hearing about a God that is the father of some, but not the father of most. And you gotta do something. You have to do a work to get into the family. And the father is saying, that's not the case. I've always been pleased with you. You've always been a son. You've always walked before me holy and blameless because that's the, that's the sight that I see. And because that's the gospel we carry, you will, like Jesus, attract people to you. They're gonna be drawn to you. Really, it's not you. It's the Jesus that is functioning as you. As we lift him up, he draws all men to himself. He was lifted up and he has drawn all men. Now you and I continue to exalt him as us, us as him. And as we do, people are brought in to that realm and that dimension. So this week, I want you to practice. I want you to practice understanding and awareness and consciousness that you're sent. He's always with you. Number three, or number two on our, our thing, which really number three, you always please him. Number four, he does the work. Hope this has been a blessing to you. Hope it's proved beneficial. And we've taken the next step in our development of the unlimited. We'll talk more about it Wednesday night. Hope to see you there. God bless you. Don't forget, 10 a.m. next Sunday morning, Digital Cathedral will do uh, uh, part five. And we're going to talk about the new covenant and what's involved. See you then.